This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. It's now been six days since Hurricane Ian made landfall in Lee County, causing widespread devastation all across the region. While FPL and LCEC are making steady progress, hundreds of thousands of homes and businesses are still without power. There's no power at all on Fort Myers Beach, Sanibel Island, Captiva Island, or Pine Island, and really no way to estimate yet when service will be restored to the barrier islands. Most LCEC customers in Cape Coral and North Fort Myers are still without power, but progress is being made. Both power companies say most residents who can receive power safely will have it back by the weekend. On today's show, we're going to talk with someone from FEMA to get an update on their work in this area and what kinds of assistance people can receive from them and how to apply. We'll also check in with someone from UFIFIS to get a first look at how Ian impacted agriculture in the state. And then we'll talk with Florida Gulf Coast University President Dr. Mike Martin to see how campus operations have been impacted and what the plan is for the rest of the fall semester. If you'd like to engage with us or share any stories, photos, or videos of what you experienced during the storm and what you're facing now, please do so. Just use WGCU social media. We're on Facebook at WGCU Public Media, and on Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. First up, we're going to check in with Ken Higginbotham. He's an external affairs officer with FEMA. He's here in southwest Florida. Ken, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Mike. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. Um, so for starters, just paint a picture of how many people FEMA has in the area and what their primary focus is at this point. Well, we have quite a few uh, boots on the ground. But you, you have to understand it's not just FEMA that's here. We're working with local, state, and other federal partners in uh, this effort to get the support that people need to get back on the road to recovery. Uh, the federal government, uh, we're continuing to support uh, the life-saving uh, effort, uh, life-sustaining, power restoration, and a whole lot of other things. And it takes a lot of cooperation with uh, many entities in order to accomplish that. Uh would just like to point out that today, uh, you were mentioning about Pine Island. Uh, today, we have two DSA teams, or Disaster Survivor Assistance Teams. They're kind of like our uh, recon teams. They're really uh, the ones that get up and close and gather a lot of data regarding the uh, disaster survivors. And they can also provide assistance in helping the survivors apply for federal assistance. Um, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers is out there working feverishly uh, in executing the Blue Roof Program uh, for Charlotte and Lee Counties. And they'll be doing that through October the 23rd. Um, well, we'll get into the Blue Roof, Pro Blue Roof Program, that is, just a little bit more deeply in a bit. But I first want to say um, disaster recovery centers are beginning to open today. Can you explain what they are and where they are? Well, disaster recovery centers, Mike, are sort of like one-stop servicing centers where uh, disaster survivors, those that have been impacted by this uh, event, can stop by, get information they need that's uh, pertinent to their particular situation, because everybody's experience is different. It's not one size fits all. So people can stop by, they can get information, they can also register there. And registering is really the first step in the uh, in the recovery process. And so we're highly encouraging folks within your listening audience uh, to get registered, first and foremost, because once they get registered, it's kind of like that key that can open up the door to many programs, services, and gets the ball moving and they can register uh, three different ways uh, they can call the toll-free registration number of course that's 1-800-621-3362 uh, and they can also 
if they have access to the internet, you can go online, disasterassistance, all one word, dot gov, and apply there as well. And if you have access to, you know, on any mobile uh, units that you might have, a cell phone or whatever, or an iPad, they can get on and get the FEMA app and uh, apply on there. But more importantly, to stop by the DRCs or Disaster Recovery Centers, which will be uh, put out in the uh, area there where people can come by. They can get, like I said, information that pertains to their particular uh, uh, condition and get registered. Uh, there, there are counselors there. There are people from the state and state programs and local, county of Lee, uh, Lee County. Um, many, many people are at these recovery centers to help people with any type of information they may need. Uh, talk about health care system support. Um, and can put people in the right direction to areas that they uh, may need Do you, for, you know, commodity distribution. Uh, can you can you tell us, or our listeners rather, where these disaster recovery centers are that they can go to? Okay. Uh, the disaster, uh, and, and you're talking about, within Lee County? Uh, we actually broadcast all the way to Sarasota and down through Collier County, so anywhere oh, okay. from Sarasota okay. to Collier. Okay. Uh, we have the uh, DRCs are not uh, up and running yet. There are tentative sites. Uh, we're just wanting to make sure everything is ready to go before they are operational. You know, the thing is, Mike, we want to make sure we're managing expectations and, uh, and that uh, people know that when they're at a disaster recovery center, they're going to get a lot of assistance, a lot of help. Once we have those uh, fixed operations rolling, we'll let you know. Uh, they are going to be opening up this week, but we don't want people to start coming by and then not be able to get uh, taken care of. So we so, don't have that information out right at this moment, but uh, it'll be within the next day or so. Okay. As soon as you let us know where that is, we will let our listeners know. But for the time being, Absolutely. people should register using that phone number, which we will have on our website or the website that you gave us, which we'll have right. there also. Um, can you explain uh, how the individual households program works through FEMA for people who've been impacted? Yeah, that's a good question, Mike. Uh, the individual and household grant program. This is where people, again, register. They uh, may receive uh, financial support and assistance through that program. Um, and through that, you know, the, the eligibility for that is based on several things. And as I had said earlier, you know, it's not one size fits all because everybody's situation is different. So the key is to register, have the property inspected. And by the way, an appointment would be set up where uh, inspectors will come out, uh, assess the damage on the property. A report will be generated and all that data goes in and then uh, uh, there is an amount that is decided for this grant. And again, remember, it's a grant. It doesn't have to be repaid. And this is just for the, the to jumpstart people in getting the, the assistance, the immediate assistance they need. Um, at this point, um, we have dispersed over 414 uh, uh, households for that program. We also have other needs assistance. 
And in that program area is uh, immediate uh, financial support is, is, is given. Uh, for example, for, for medical purposes, uh, for if, if there were prescriptions lost or medical uh, supplies and things of that sort, um, uh, there are many, many things in that uh, that can be provided to the applicants. And we want to make sure that everybody in these designated counties, which are actually in the, uh, for the entire state, 19, uh, that they get um, the, uh, the amount of service they need to get back on the road to recovery. Rental assistance is, is into that. Uh, damage and destroyed property. Um, access to functional and functional needs, uh, sheltering. Uh, and we do highly, highly recommend that everybody keeps their receipts um, because that will help in the reimbursement process. Uh, documents, keep all the receipts, and that will definitely help in, in, in that particular area. And just to let listeners know, um, all of the counties that are covered here in southwest Florida by our signal are available for this program. It's so Charlotte, Collier, uh, Lee, um, Sarasota, uh, all of the counties here along the coast right. are, are eligible for that. Um, so once some, Exactly. If, if, I'm sorry. If no, they go are ahead. in that designated county, yeah, if they are in that designated county, they are able to register. And we don't want people to pre-disqualify themselves and say, oh, I just lost this. I just lost that. Get into the system. Let the system work. You have that uh, ability and uh, distinction of being able to apply for federal assistance. You know, it's kind of back to the old saying, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So, Get into the system because there are many, many programs that people may be able to take advantage of. Um, so I just I, I looked it up. The IHP, as I understand it, it can provide things like funds for temporary housing, um, reimbursement exactly. for hotel costs, um, funds to repair, right. replace. Like I said, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, rental assistance, rental assistance, destroyed properties. Uh, uh, temporary housing, uh, like you said, into hotels and, and, and the like. And we know people have been heavily impacted by all of this. So it's important for them to get into the system. They get a registration number. And as I said before, it's kind of like a key that, that they will be asked for that registration number Anytime they are needing any any type of assistance, whether it be from a local, state, and of course federal uh, organizations and agencies. Um, and just to, we're going to go on to the Blue Roof program next, but just to reiterate for people who mm-hmm. are listening live, it's disasterassistance.gov, all one word, Correct. and 800-621-FEMA, or that's 800-621-3362. Um, so, so, Ken, so uh, people who are new to Southwest Florida might, be not, might not be familiar with the Blue Roof program. Those of us who've been here for a long time have seen the Blue Roofs before. Um, this is something that you do in partnership or with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Explain how the program works and who might be eligible. Well, anybody, of course, that uh, had uh, damage done to their uh, roofs um, through this uh, event uh, may be able to get uh, that taken care of. And as you said, here in southern Florida, unfortunately, that is a common sight. But uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers are the ones that are taking point on that. And uh, people may get in touch with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers by calling their phone number, which is 1-800-ROOF-BLUE. 
You'll have to get that numerical translation in there, but 1-800-ROOF-BLUE. And they will be able to get an appointment set up for people that need that uh, to cover their property or their homes. And and just for people who are listening that may not understand the blue part, it's literally blue tarps that are you know a little bit better than a tarp, but a blue covering that that they'll come out and they'll install a, over your roof, right? Right, right, exactly. And and which kind of brings me to a point, Mike. Unfortunately, because we hear this quite a lot, that there are scams out there. There are people that will say we'll put something on your roof for you for X amount of dollars. Uh, don't buy into that. Uh, you know, as they say, buyer beware. And it's important to know that uh, because this has been a federally declared disaster in the state of Florida and these designated counties, uh, and people register, get into that system. This is, again, one of the programs that uh, can be afforded to people uh, and if they need that covering for their roof, they should be registered with SEMA. And it's not going to cost them a dime. Um, and I do have the translation now if anybody's listening and wants to write it down. Okay. So it's so it's 888-ROOF-BLUE, that's B-L-U, which translates to 888-766-3258. So if anybody's listening, call that number if your roof is leaking and somebody will come out there at some point and put a blue tarp across your roof and that will make it uh, declared habitable once it's on there. Um, so can you tell us about uh, what's available for business owners through the Small Business Administration disaster loans? Absolutely. And I, I, I you know, recommending that, that our partners in the U.S. Small Business Administration, which they're kind of the, uh, the big bank uh, for these type of events, they provide loans, very, very good loans, uh, uh, low interest because of this disaster and it's a little bit easier and they're a little bit more uh, cooperative and and less stringent than regular conventional loans but uh, to apply with the SBA and you do that the same time you register with FEMA because it's a collaborative effort so you get into the system register with the SBA and they can provide loans uh, at extremely low interest and amortize possibly over a 30-year period. So that's something uh, disaster survivors, when you're looking at more of a long-term type assistance and uh, uh, recovery, is to get with the SBA. Again, FEMA provides grants which do not need to be uh, repaid. But the SBA provides these low, low interest loans, and that's for the big, big ticket items. Did you say that that could happen through disasterassistance.gov, or should they go to sba.gov? Yeah, well, when they register, first off, register with FEMA, and they will be instructed and directed to filling out the application for the U.S. Small Business Administration at, at the same time. Understood. And I also have the number there if anybody doesn't have the ability to go online. The SBA mm-hmm. number for this program is 1-800-659-2955. That's 1-800-659-2955. Um, and then also you kind of touched on this earlier, but there apparently are mental health resources available as well. There are, and we know this is really a traumatic experience, and uh, it's very, very challenging. People are going through some real hard times right now. So, uh, you know, mental health services, this is where we work in partnership with the counties and local officials in these particular areas because, uh, you know, everybody's going through a lot of stress during these these types of times. Um, we also, um, let's see. Um, 
we appear to have lost Ken Higginbotham. Um, Richard, if you can call him back, that would be fantastic. I'm going to reiterate some of those numbers that he just gave out. The Blue Roof program, if your home is leaking and you need it to be covered, it's 888 Roof Blue, B L U. That's 888 766 3258. If you want to register with FEMA, it is Disaster Assistance, all one word, dot G-O-V, or call 1-800-621-3362. And also the Small Business Administration loans are available to be uh, registered for at sba.gov or by calling 1-800-659-2955. Or SBA actually has an email address as well, which is Disaster Customer Service, all one word, at sba.gov. And again, if you want to register with FEMA, it's disasterassistance.gov. We're going to take a first look now while we're trying to get uh, Ken back on the phone. We're going to move on to the next segment. We're going to get a first take on how Hurricane Ian impacted agriculture here in southwest Florida. Gene McAvoy served as an extension agent in Hendry County for nearly 25 years before retiring back in 2019. I talked with him earlier today while he was out checking orange trees in Alva. Let's hear that conversation now. Gene McAvoy is Regional Vegetable Extension Agent for Emeritus with University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences, or IFAS. Gene, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. So where are you at right now? I'm actually in the middle of an orange grove in Alva, Florida. Um, Is it a grove that withstood the storm, or kind of tell us what you see and and what kind of damage may have been incurred? Yeah, um, no, the trees are standing. You know, I'd say there's maybe 10% or less of trees that were damaged, physically damaged, either uprooted or, um, you know, major limbs broken off. Um, What I am seeing, and it depends on the variety of oranges, anywhere from 20 to 70% 70% of the fruit on the ground. Um, the hamlins and the early season orange um, varieties that would have matured towards the end of this month, early November, those fruits were, you know, pretty close to full size. And so, you know, they put up a lot of wind resistance when that hurricane started, you know, tossing those fruit back and forth. And we're seeing the higher, you know, um, amount of fruit on the ground with those varieties, the Valencia oranges, which come in later, um, they're not quite as big and they were able to stay on a little better. And so, you know, there I'm seeing maybe 20%. Um, seeing a lot of, you know, leaf blown off. And I think everybody's seen that, you know, if you even have a landscape, you know, you could see the amount of foliage that was blown off. And you know, these trees are stressed, and it's, you know, on top of greening, which is, you know, they're already stressed. So I anticipate that we'll see, a, you know, further amount of fruit dropping off the trees. Can you give us a sense of what kinds of crops besides citrus are being grown this time of year in the areas that were impacted by Hurricane Ian? Well, we're in the, you know, at this time of year, we're, you know, planting full bore in terms of vegetables. Um, everything from arugula through zucchini just about. Um, lots of tomatoes in the ground. We typically start laying plastic in August in southwest Florida. Up in central Florida in the Manatee County area, they actually start a little earlier in July. Um, so we have tomatoes, watermelons, peppers, green beans, sweet corn, you know, just about you name it, we have in the ground right now. If areas were not flooded and they do have new plants in the ground, were they going to then be able to withstand the winds fairly well or just flesh that out? Yeah, actually, we did fairly well. After Hurricane Irma, it just, you know, literally lifted up the plastic that we, uh, plastic mulch that we plant on and, you know, tore the plants out of the ground. This time, most of the plastic stayed in place. I'd say, you know, there's 10 or 15 percent where, you know, small sections of the field lifted up and will have to be repaired. And, you know, growers are already doing that, you know, probably pretty much done already. Um, 
tougher plants like tomatoes and peppers, um, eggplants and those, they're sandblasted, the leaves are tattered, but they'll survive and they'll grow out of it, but it's going to have some impact on yield and it's going to cost the growers a little more because they're going to have to apply fungicides more frequently to protect those damaged plants from infection. Um, some of the more um, tender crops like squash and watermelon, um, green beans, they were damaged to a, a greater extent and I'm hearing anywhere from 50 to 80 percent on some of those having to be replanted or just lost, um, especially watermelons. Um, you know, we plant watermelons for the Thanksgiving market, fall watermelons, so they're pretty advanced right now. They would have been planted in August, and so if they're lost, you're not going to make that back up this season. Um, I know it's too early to say with any certainty, but does how does this compare overall, would you say, to Irma from 2017? Far, far less severe. Far less severe, okay. Far less severe. Now, again, you know, if you were run. You know, I just finished talking to a grower um, who went totally underwater close to, you know, Yupik um, and Fort Myers, you know, three foot of water. It wasn't as bad. It's much worse for her. But, you know, for most, the majority of uh, growers around LaBelle and Immokalee, it's, it's not as bad as Irma was. Hmm. Um, let's go back to citrus for you a know, little bit. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, even with citrus, um, you know, we saw, you know, there, you know, in some groves, 50% of the trees were blown over or torn right out of the ground, you know. Um, fields were flooded and groves were flooded and, you know, in some cases stayed underwater for five to seven days, which is death to any crop. What are the kinds of things that citrus farmers need to be doing in the time after the storm to protect what they've you know, what they've got left? Well, um, if they lost a lot of foliage and they have early varieties like your tangerines and hamlins, they may need to put out a, a sunshade or a sun protectant, kind of like a whitewash that you spray onto the crops because the leaves, you know, actually protect the fruit from sunburning. And if you don't do something, especially with these bright sunny days, it'll actually burn the peel and render that fruit you know, pretty much unmarketable. It'll start to desiccate and lose juice content. Um, you know, in terms of diseases, um, things like citrus canker and black spot are spread by wind-blown rain, so we're going to, you know, anticipate a higher incidence of those diseases, so they should be putting out some sort of um, protecting again, uh, fungicides or, or bactericides against those problems. How does insurance work for farmers and ranchers when it comes to their crops during an event like this? Well, it depends if they have it. And, you know, surprisingly, many farmers do not, especially in the vegetable side of things, um, because it's quite costly. Um, you know, there are, and then, you know, if you do have insurance, you could insure for various amounts. You can insure for 50%, 75%, 80%, 100% loss, and obviously premiums go up as you insure for a higher, uh, you know, a portion of the loss. Um, what are the other? A lot of citruses. Oh, go ahead. I said a lot of citrus is insured, vegetables less um, for whatever reason. Um, what are the other kinds of assistance that farmers can look toward besides insurance after a storm like this? Well, usually what happens is, you know, and the governor's already done this. He's declared a major disaster that goes up to Washington, D.C. president will declare a disaster area. And then that starts to go down to the agencies, the Farm Service Agency, USDA, and they have various programs that uh, will be put into place to assist growers to recover. Um, so it's a little early to say what exactly, you know, in my experience in past storm events like this, it, it often takes, you know, 9 to 12 months before the assistance actually comes back to the farmer. 
But what farmers should be doing right now, and they should have already started, is to document their losses, take lots of photos. Um, even if, you know, if they were flooded and the water has gone down, if they can take pictures of, you know, that indicate the high water mark, um, you know, make sure they have receipts for the purchase of plants and fungicides, um, equipment that might have been damaged, they need to document that and, again, have the receipts for that equipment. And all of that kind of thing will, you know, help make their case later on when assistance does become available. The other thing they do, should do is reach out to the Farm Service Agency, which is a, a part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and let them know that they've been damaged. Even though there may not be a program in place, you want to, you know, basically put a marker in and, you know, call your local farm service agency and say, you know, my crops have been damaged. And, you know, when they then have programs that, you know, are announced, you'll be in line for those programs. Um, I'm not sure if you can answer this with any certainty, but um, I know there's a fair amount of farming that happens out on Pine Island, and it was completely inundated with seawater, which is salt water. Do you have any sense of what that means yes. for uh, ag there on the island? That's bad news. Um, a lot of times if that's, that salt water basically will you know, kill the crop and render that soil, um, I don't want to say sterile, but... Basically, the salt content will prevent the production of crops for some time to come. A lot of people don't realize, Mike, that we used to grow tomatoes on Sanibel Island back in the 20s and, you know, the teens and 20s. And there was a major hurricane that hit Sanibel, overtopped the island, completely inundated the island in 1926. And that was the end of farming on Sanibel Island. It could take years, if not decades, to come back from something like that. Um, you know, you've been working with farmers in southwest Florida for a long time. Is this just their next challenge, or does this rise to another level? Well, I'd say it's their next challenge. Um, you know, with some of them, it's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, with citrus, if you know, we've seen yields steadily decline on citrus. Um, you know, we were down to, you know, less than 40 million boxes last year. Um, they were, you know, estimates that we were going to go a little lower possibly this year, but this might push it down by, you know, a significant amount. And, you know, I'm in the grove right now, and there's not enough fruit on some of these trees between greening and, you know, the storm now um, to even pay the harvesters to come in and try to pick it. Hmm. And if you can't, if you don't have anything to sell, Especially in Southwest Florida, even though we, you know, just went under, you know, underwent a major disaster, you and I both know what's going to happen. Is you know, it's going to rebound, and you know, even though we just underwent a major disaster, it's not going to stop building and development, and you know, it may slow it down for a couple months or a year or so, but you know, things are going to come back, and if you can't make money on your crops. Um, that land is going to go to the next and best highest use, and that typically is more development. Hmm. Um, uh, last question, because uh, your phone's starting to break up. Um, where were you during the storm, and, and how have you done personally? I was in our – we live on a ranch just uh, south of LaBelle, between LaBelle and Immokalee. Um, so we weathered the storm in our house. Uh, again, we didn't expect it to come – you know, and I, a lot of people didn't expect it. Uh, we thought it was going further north. Um, had we known it was coming directly at LaBelle the way it did, we probably would have went somewhere else. But we did stay through the storm. Our house did fine. Our house uh, was intact. My property is mostly underwater, anywhere from ankle deep to shin deep, but it's starting to go down. Um, had some tree damage. I raised cattle. Uh, no problems with the cattle. They're pretty durable creatures they are smart enough to you know find a little high ground and turn their head away from the wind and just look like they're pressure washed after the event hmm. all right well gene i really appreciate your time and uh, we'll try to catch up with you again in a week or so uh, gene mcavoy is regional vegetable extension agent for emeritus with university of florida's institute of food and agricultural sciences or ifas gene thanks very much 
Okay, Mike, you take care. If you're just tuning in, we're getting an update on some of the ways Hurricane Ian has impacted southwest Florida. We checked in with FEMA earlier and got cut off, but we will have all of that contact information about how to apply for assistance through FEMA on our website. If you'd like to engage with us about this conversation or share stories or photos or videos of what you experienced during the storm and what you're facing now, just use WGCU social media, connect to us on Facebook or on Twitter. For the rest of the hour, I'm joined in studio by Florida Gulf Coast University President Dr. Dr. Mike Martin. Dr. Martin, thanks for coming in. Delighted, Mike. Good to see you. So overall, how did campus fare during Ian? I've taken a couple walks around and it looks pretty good. Yeah, the campus held up well. We have some damage, but it's being repaired very quickly and there's cleanup to do. But by and large, the uh, built environment has been in good shape all in all. We went through uh, a prior hurricane in my time here, Irma, and we learned some lessons. So uh, it's functional, and uh, we're getting back to business as normal, I hope, here fairly soon. Um, the crew that came across campus a few days ago, was that U.S. Sugar? Yes. Yeah, yeah I looked they, out my yeah, window, and yeah. there was like a, a wave of people walking yeah. across. Did they just come through and volunteer uh, their time? Well, and, and yes, and, and they came to help us clean up, and it was terrific. I mean, it was – and they were efficient, and they were uh, – enthusiastic, and we appreciated them enormously. And you probably know we've got, oh, several hundred recovery and rescue people in Alico that we're hosting now. And uh, the Coast Guard, the National Guard, uh, ho- rescue and re- – no, let's see, rescue and restoration from from Virginia, a whole bunch. So we get a lot of visitors, and it's nice to see that we can do that. And it was nice of U.S. Sugar to come and do something for us. U.S. Um, – I'm sorry. Uh, campus remains closed at this point, right? Well, campus remains – in the sense the campus isn't closed per se, but the business is closed. We've got people coming and going, fixing, repairing. Some faculty are coming back. The residents, uh, the students that were in the uh, – during the storm have been returned to the residence halls. So dorms are back open. So all but Westlake Village, and Westlake Village is still uh, struggling with both power and water. And uh, meals are being served in South Village uh, uh, Dining Hall. So we're beginning to kind of re-energize the place for a start next Monday morning. Is South Village Dining Hall Sovi? Yes, Sovia. And yeah. they're offering uh, free meals to employees and students, right? Yeah, that's correct. It's it's a limited menu, so to speak. Understood. But, but, but it's still okay. I I went down and had an apple today, incidentally. That was my treat to myself. But uh, no, they're, they're rolling and uh, hopefully by the weekend we'll see more of the facilities on campus open, including the Cohen Center and uh, basketball team. And the volleyball team, the basketball teams and the volleyball team have been displaced from Alico but are practicing in the rec center. And the volleyball team will likely play some of its home games at Eckerd College up north. So we're getting help from friends. We're doing the best we can and we wanted to be a good host for those people who are here from all over the country to assist this community. Uh, the current plan, and it seems pretty fixed, is to return classes or resume classes on Monday the 10th? That's our hope. We're planning on it. Um, uh, can you see anything that might disrupt that, or does that seem pretty pretty? Well, certain? I think unless we had some disruption in infrastructure, but to date, everything is holding up well. The water system is holding up. The Wi-Fi is back and fully functional. We got uh, our IT people are going room by room to make sure that the technology in the rooms is uh, up to the standards needed by the faculty. So I don't see any serious likelihood of uh, somehow having to back away from that time. And then we'll begin making time up. Uh, it's not without controversy, you probably know. I was going to go uh, there next, well, Saturday I'll, classes. And I'll take my way there. And I want people to understand, uh, first of all, we put together – a team that's been managing our way through this that's made up of sub-teams. And one of those sub-teams is the academic recovery team. And they explored all kinds of ways to ensure that we had a full semester. Uh, You may recall during Irma, we simply ate up some of winter break. But this gap is bigger than that and it would not work. We explored pushing the two weeks into the next semester But that leaves people who are about to graduate uncertain whether they graduated. And it means we push that semester back two weeks. So the idea is that every faculty and every student should be flexible and creative about how they use this time, whether they're online, whether they do special assignments, whether they come back to class. We just want them to know that there will be space and days assigned to catch up for the days we lost. 
as you might suspect, we're hearing from lots of people. I assume. And, 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 yeah. and my, my admonition is this. Read the news as it comes out. Everything is a work in progress. And every one of the people who've been here from the beginning of this storm, myself included, have our own things to deal with as well. But good people are really trying hard, and I'm proud of them. And I understand there's frustration, and I understand that all of this creates certain kinds of displacements. But we owe every student who comes to FGCU a full, complete, and excellent education. You can't start on your own goal line, march down the field, stop at the 99, and believe you scored a touchdown. And we're going to make sure that we finish every semester at the highest possible quality. And we know that our faculty and staff will do all they can to accommodate unique situations. So just stay tuned. That's my And, and I think you say, I see you have a button that says don't panic. I, I think that's a good button we all should be wearing right that's now. That's our motto when, once we enter this studio. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to get, we're going to steal it. Uh, don't panic. Um, I, I, I don't presume that it's a flexible option, but I just wanted to show you. Richard just sent me change.org. Somebody's actually started a petition to not oh, do. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, and I get that. I mean, if that makes you feel better. But the truth of the matter is we have limited options that does not make even the rest of the whole academic year worse off. And we have faculty and staff who are incredibly innovative about ways of delivering uh, a sound education to finish this semester. So before everyone gets wound up and signs petitions, and they're welcome to do that, but the petition probably ought to go to Mother Nature uh, because that's who visited this upon us. And none of us, none of us on this campus that I know of uh, would have uh, wished for that to occur. But that doesn't mean we're not going to be resilient and bounce back. Because uh, the campus withstood the storm so well, does that mean um, you're not going to have to go to like distance learning or things like that like we did during the early days we, of we the pandemic? We may do some of that blended. I think it's going to depend on the faculty and the subject matter. Understood. But we didn't want to have to mandate that because as a, at least as a 50-year veteran of being in public higher education – uh, I believe that some elements of face-to-face -face education are essential. Um, I would not want to go to a surgeon who learned to do surgery by distance. I think at some point you need to have some hands-on. So we want to leave it open. And we want our faculty to be sensitive to the realities of the students. And we want to be sensitive to the faculty and the students as well. But if everyone understands the ultimate objective is to deliver this semester in total, so that it adds up to all the other semesters that we deliver, and that adds up to a degree. That's our objective. And I, I read you guys sent out a press release, so uh, commencement is planned as as per normal. That, and that's one of the reasons we didn't want to push back fall. Well, and two reasons. We would have had to eat up a lot. We probably couldn't have squeezed it all in. But we also wanted to go forward with a commencement because we're going back barring some tragedy to a more traditional commencement spread over two days. Um, you may not have the exact details on this. I do have some of them. But the university's counseling and psychological services yeah. is now available to students? Yes. Yep. The CAPS is up and running and ready to help. And uh, as we were talking about, Sovi Dining is coming up and providing sort of a minimalist but quite tasty menu down there. And you can walk right in if you're a student or staff, faculty or staff. Uh, so we're trying to kind of nudge our way to full operations by Monday morning. Um, and just if anybody's listening and you're a student, I or I think, is, is CAPS available to faculty and staff or is it no, just No, but I think they can direct you. There is a secondary yeah, service. Yeah, but if yeah, you're a student yeah. and you're listening, you can contact CAPS. Yeah. They have uh, brief check-in meetings available from 9 a.m. Yeah. to 5 p.m. Uh, through this Friday at least. So that's the counseling and psychological services. Um, uh, any events planned in the near term that had to be postponed well, or canceled? Well, we had, a, we had a presidential lecture coming up on the 13th. We decided to not try to force that on the campus. I don't know what the board is going to do about the interviews for the fifth president. They were scheduled to come up pretty quickly. And I, there may be some pause, slight pause in that process. But I'm not going to speculate. I just know that there are some members of the board who – want to make sure the community has a chance to interact with the three finalists, that the three finalists have a chance to see the community. Uh, 
So there may be a little modification, but I'll leave that to the board to decide. You mentioned that uh, volleyball is going to – so talk about sports just a little yeah. bit. So uh, things will proceed, just not necessarily here until our facility has been exactly, cleared. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we may try to get the soccer field. You probably know the the storm blew a big piece of the of the, the bleachers, uh, the bleachers mm-hmm. across the field. And I think they're working on that. The field took a little bit of a beating, but they'll get that fixed. It's a wonderful field called uh, Pickering Field, as you probably know, thanks to Larry and Suzanne Pickering. And I think they'll get that repaired. And then as soon as we can get back into Oliko, we'll get up to play volleyball. And the basketball team will be able to really energize uh, their their practices. Uh, lastly, I understand you were over at Vester Field Station this morning. Can yeah. you tell us what you know? That's right there behind Barefoot Beach. Off yeah, Benita's, it Benita took Benita a beating. Road. It yeah. took a beating. It's going to be a hard recovery. I mean, the, the water was up to the bottom of the second floor of the buildings. So, yeah, but but uh, we're sizing it up. There's some things that have to be moved, like some down trees on power lines, before we can really get in there. But. Yes, it was an adventure for sure. All right. Well, that is all the time we have. We're going to play a little press release here from uh, FPL Chair- Chairman and CEO Eric Salagi in a minute. But, Dr. Mike Martin, thank you for coming in, and uh, we'll keep in touch as this all plays out. Good to see you, Mike. Thank you. So earlier today, FPL Chairman and CEO Eric Salagi made a statement, took a few questions in Benita Springs to discuss storm recovery efforts. Uh, let's listen to some of that now to end the show. I'm pleased to report that as of this morning, we have restored over 1.9 million of our customers power with about 200 and so thousand left to go. So we're right out about 90% restored on a system-wide basis, uh, but we still have a lot of work to do. Here in Lee County, uh, we're about 75% restored, uh, but unfortunately right now, the work at hand is hard work. It's the kind of work that we do in the back of everybody's yards with a lot of trees down, uh, but we are working 24 hours a day to get the power back on for those remaining customers that can take power and that can safely be restored. Here at the Lee County Civic Center, uh, we have over a thousand people that are being housed and fed and replenished with their supplies every day so they can get out in the field and work to get the power back on. In Lee County itself, we have over 5,000 now working to restore power. That's out of the 21,000 that we have deployed throughout the state of Florida and more resources are now collapsing into southwest Florida with our goal and our effort to try to get everybody restored earlier than we even planned before, and that would be by close of business, end of the day, on Friday. So our hope is to have all the customers who can safely be restored uh, by the end of the day on Friday. Uh, That is about two days earlier than we expected just a few days ago, and it reflects the hard work of the men and women who came from over 30 states around the country and of course all the FPL employees who are working to get the power back on but also it's a testament to the investments made in smart grid technology and storm hardening and undergrounding which really paid off. As I said before there's still a lot of work to be done though right now in kind of the backyards it's hand-to-hand combat if you will of of yard to yard tree by tree uh, getting those cleared off of the, the lines that were damaged and in some cases the poles that were damaged that have to be replaced. But we are committed to working 24 hours a day until the job is done. And again, right now with over 1.9 million restored, we're able to concentrate all of our efforts and resources on those remaining 200 plus thousand that need to get their lights on. Unfortunately, there are gonna be thousands of customers, as you've seen the pictures and the devastation, as an example on Fort Myers Beach, who simply cannot accept power once it's ready to be restored. The buildings are damaged or in some cases destroyed and safety is our top priority. So with that in mind, I'd please ask all of you who are watching to keep safety top of mind. A couple of observations that I've had just this morning just driving here. There's a lot more traffic on the roads. We're adding to that traffic because we have thousands of crews out there. There are still lights that have no electricity, stoplights. When that occurs, please treat the intersection as a four-way stop. Let our crews get through. We're trying to get the power on as much as possible. But most importantly, stay safe and be conservative in how you drive. Stay out of high water. There's still some floodwaters out there. Fortunately, the floods or floodwaters are starting to recede. We're no longer wading into chest-high water, which you should never do. 
we're now dealing in standing water, but we're able to get the lights on in that type of level of water. But you should stay out of high water. There still could be downed electrical lines, and as we restore power, there's always a danger that something could become electrified. If you're running a portable generator still, please make sure it's away from any open windows and never run it in a closed space like your garage. Safety has to be top priority. We're very close to getting the power on for everybody. The last thing we need right now is for somebody to be injured or killed because they let their guard down and didn't practice safely all of the lessons that we've learned over the years. Thank you for your patience. We appreciate it. We know it's hard to be without electricity. We are working around the clock. We will never compromise on safety, but we will work as fast as we can to get the lights back on. That was FPL Chairman and CEO Eric Salagi at a press conference at 10 a.m. this morning. And here's the latest from LCEC. As of a few hours ago, they say with a complement of more than 1,000 local and state line workers and tree trimmers, they're making progress restoring power to homes and businesses throughout southwest Florida. As of last update, just over 41% of the six-county service area has been restored over the past five days, excluding Sanibel and Pine Island, which are not accessible to line crews. A spokesperson says the number of restoration workers will grow to 2,000 by this weekend as additional crews arrive today and tomorrow. Preliminary work on the islands will continue to prepare for restoration in those locations when possible, with the main focus on customers throughout the LCEC service territory who are able to receive power. There are still about 88,000 LCEC customers without power in Cape Coral. 38,000 in North Fort Myers, 1,200 now in Lehigh Acres, only 300 left in Immokalee, and about 2,500 out on Marco Island. And earlier we talked to FEMA. If you want to register for individual assistance for FEMA, which will pretty much be anybody in the southwest Florida listening area along the coast, you can apply for that disaster assistance at disasterassistance.gov or by calling 1-800-621-3362. And if you need to apply for a Small Business Administration loan, that's sba.gov. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear all of our episodes on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or wherever you find your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our directors today were Jared Gonzalez and Richard Chinqui. And our social media manager is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM. We're NPR for Southwest Florida, and we'll do our best to keep you up to date throughout the week.